hey, and welcome to another episode of the All In Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brenna Huckabee, who is a two-time Paralympic champion. Yep, she has two gold medals, and she is gunning for two more at the upcoming 2022 Winter Olympics. She's a cancer survivor and competes in the sport of snowboarding, as well as is a speaker, a mom, and the founder of Gold Medal Mindset. In this conversation, we talk about being an advocate for equality, both in women in sport as well as ableism. We talk about her story going from an aspiring gymnast, all of a sudden being diagnosed with cancer and having an amputation, and then learning how to snowboard. We learn more about her Paralympic experience and how a mindset shift allowed her to win two gold medals. Finally, the answer that I have definitely been waiting finally the answer that I have definitely been waiting for, which is why are all these athletes only getting better after having a child? So not only do we cover the super mom mindset, but we also talk in depth about the gold medal mindset, overcoming the feelings of not being enough, building confidence, and how to set goals. I really enjoyed this conversation with Brenda, and I know you will as well. So without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Hey, welcome to the All In Podcast. Today, we're joined by Brenna Huckabee, two times Paralympic champion, uh, snowboarder, speaker, mom. Uh, you're a doer of many things. Thank you for making the time to come on here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, and like we were talking about, today is International Women's Day, so uh, a perfect conversation starter. Um, I'd love to to dive in of what are some things that you're thinking about today on International Women's Day? Yeah, a lot of it, the, the topic of the day is around choice and your choice to speak out and be actionable. And I've been doing a lot of reflection in my own journey and the choices that I've made and the times that I stayed silent and how I can continue to use my voice for the betterment of women, especially women in sport. And I'm just really um, being mindful of that today. Mm, I love that. Like the reflection time. That's something I've been thinking about as well. Like all the times, I don't know if you've experienced this, but for me growing up, I thought to be into sports, I was like, I had to be separate from the girls, like hang out with the boys and especially in snowboarding, hang out with them and be different than the other girls instead of realizing that was also like internalized misogyny. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because my entire childhood sport journey was the exact same. And actually as a Paralympian, um, I've noticed that I do that with able body athletes. Like I feel like in order to be great as a Paralympian, I have to seem just as good as able-bodied athletes, but that internalized ableism, I guess. Oh yeah. That that's an interesting one. You know what? I, I posted something on my Instagram last year and I had a friend who said, I think that's like kind of ableist. It was a repost or something. So I've been trying to do the research and the work of like, okay, what, what is ableism? Could you maybe explain a little bit more? Because I think a lot of people don't understand what it is and it's something that we should be. It's the conversation we should be having. Yeah. Um, my interpretation of it is just seeing people with disabilities as less than incapable, you know, challenge, whatever, um, than an able-bodied person. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it's huge. It's a huge umbrella. Disability is a massive umbrella. Um, but I think it goes a lot with being mindful and just figuring out our word choices. And then, you know, if we really want to see people with disabilities as equal in their own right, like how can we make sure that we're having conversations that are not looking down on, um, others? 
Right. And I think that goes hand in hand with like International Women's Day and women in sport, right? Like where people, it's the same way. Like as women in sport, we want to be treated the same as you're treating men in sport. Like I, there's many times that I thought I'll make something, put a lot of work into sport content. A 12 year old boy can say the same thing and someone's going to trust a 12 year old boy versus, you know, a former high level athlete. It doesn't make sense. Oh my goodness. That's the worst, but it's so true. Uh, I know the struggle is real, but I think, you know, being advocates and someone like you who can advocate for um, just representation as well as just the, the fighting against ableism, against women's sport and that conversation. I think it's definitely starts with conversation and with people changing their wording and their mindsets about it. Exactly. And it goes having conversations like this, where we get other people's opinions, like my world is my world, right? And your world is your world. And when we can come together and find common ground or think about things differently, um, there's a lot of power in that. Yes, I love it. So you do a ton of things. Uh, like I said, in the, in the short blurb, like you're a Paralympic champion, you're a speaker, you're a mom. What does a day in your life look like? <laughs> well, um, pre-COVID, it was kids are in school or daycare and I was able to take care of my business, but new COVID, new life. <laughs> um, I am a crazy person, just literally juggling life. Um, I wake up super early in the morning so that I can train. I'm gone on Hill when my husband is home and I just try to make it all work. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So is, is training right now pretty much like your full-time thing other than speaking? Yeah. So I'm on Hill pretty much all morning besides today. <laughs> okay. And where do you live? Um, I live in Maine. So I train okay, up at Sugarloaf. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. When the border opens, I'll definitely have to come down because it's not super far away. It's not like Colorado far. I'm just up in like the Ottawa area. So um, oh, nice. yeah, Maine's not that far. Yeah. Come on down. Yeah. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Um, that's so cool. So what, what does your training look like right now? Um, and like, how do you spend those mornings the most effectively? Do you train alone? Do you have a team? I'm sure it changed with COVID. Yeah. So this is actually my first season in Maine and I do a little bit of both training alone and with a team. Um, I just pair up with the school here. There's an academy and I just get on their snowboard cross course and get a little coaching when I can, but it's been an adjustment because I used to train with a team constantly all the time, but I'm this season really figuring out how to be my own coach in a way and like how to push right. myself without having somebody there pushing me. So it's been interesting. Yeah, I, I could imagine. I, I, I kind of dealt with the same being, I don't live near mountains, so I would have to go out West and get coaching and with the national team program. And then I'd come home and I would have a lot of time where it was like, I'd be the only person. I was like, if I fall on this jump, no one is going to save me because there's no one here in the middle of the week. Yes. It's so scary. I do that with the border cross course as well. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I beat that right now, like nobody is going to see me. That's so scary. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the, the fear is real and uh, it, it's happened for sure. I actually, I did my, um, my AC joint while no one was there. I just like landed oh on my gosh. shoulder. And then I remember driving home with, like an ice pack and like trying to like maneuver and oh my gosh, what an adventure. It's worth it. Worth it though. <laughs> the things we go through as snowboarders, like how, how has your experience been as a snowboarder with dealing with injuries? Yeah, I've been super fortunate. Um, I've, broken the only thing I've broken was a cracked hip um but oh, that kind of hurt bad. that's rough yeah. 
<laughs> that hurt. But I was able to like be mobile pretty quick. So it wasn't like a major recovery. Um, but yeah, most of my like injuries are just like whiplash and muscular and you know, the commons. I, I love talking with other snowboarders because if I go on a podcast with other athletes and you talk like that, you're like, just whiplash and this, you're like, that's not normal. <laughs> like I whiplash like multiple times a season. It's normal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. In action sports, it is, it is pretty normal, like whiplash concussions and things like that. But in other sports, like it's taken much serious, much more serious. And at least the conversation is progressing in that sense of like concussions, whiplash, things like that. Have, have you had some concussions? Yes. Um, I haven't had any recently that I know of. Um, but in 2015, I had a really bad one and it was before, like we were taking them more seriously. Um, and I ended up just still competing the next day in between like throwing up. It was pretty intense. And yeah, now that I'm educated on concussions, I would never do that again and advocate for my health. Um, but that was like the most notable experience with a concussion in sport. Yeah. And did you have any coach support or people that you went to kind of just said like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. They were kind of just like, well, you remember, so I don't think it's a concussion. Oh man. That is so disappointing to hear. Cause I had the same experience in 2015 as well. I was at the Stoneham world cup. Uh, it was like the practice day. I hit my head and we still had a couple more runs. My coaches wanted me to get into my run. They're like, start spinning the jump, start doing these things. And I said, no, like, I'm like, really, I have a headache. My head is throbbing. Like I hit my head. And they like checked my eyes and they checked my memory and they said, well, you remember you're speaking fine, but you don't have a concussion. And I said, I think there's levels. They're like, no, it's either you have a really bad concussion or you don't have a concussion. I was like, I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. Um, I remember getting a ton of pushback. Like I, I spent the whole rest of the night off the mountain and I remember they were really upset that I didn't continue with practice, which is crazy to think about. I know it thankfully has gotten a lot better here. Um, and over time, but I think my coaches just weren't educated on it. Like they yeah. just didn't know. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's so disappointing. I, I mean, that, well, that goes back to the conversation about, about ableism, about equality in sports. Like it's people, they don't know. Right. And so that's why having conversation and making awareness, like that is the big starting point. Absolutely. Awareness is key. Representation is key. <laughs> yes. So I, I want to go back to like the beginning of your journey. What was your childhood like? And um, how did you first even get into sports in general? So I grew up in Louisiana, which is like swampy yeah, trees. <laughs> yeah, it's hot and muggy, no snow, no mountains. Um, and I was a gymnast and I like was super dedicated to gymnastics, super dedicated to sport. It was my passion, my purpose. I wanted to be a collegiate gymnast on scholarship. Um, and also it was my escape. Like it, it was the place that I could go and just be. I could be myself. I was free. I just, I felt happy and at peace. And while everything else was falling apart in my life or felt like it was falling apart, it was a constant that I always had. And, um, when I was 14, I started to get this knee pain that just, it would go away. But then when it happened, it was so unbearable Mm -hmm. and we couldn't figure out what was causing it. Um, a lot of, my coaches kind of thought that it was from like, it was mental. I didn't want to participate in my sport. I was using it as an excuse. Um, 
I was scared. So I kind of had to battle whether or not I was really facing an injury or if it was mental, because I don't know when you're, especially in gymnastics, there's this weird, like authority complex where you're just very obedient and what your coaches, what they say, it's truth. It goes. And so I was really questioning what I was actually feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I told my mom and I was like, mom, like, this is really, really hurting. I'm, I can't run. I can't jump. I can't do what I want to do. Um, and so, and I had complained a few times to my mom, but the thing is, is it would go away. And so with my mom, she's thinking, well, like you say it hurts, but then I'm watching you jump on the trampoline. And so finally she was just like, you know what? No, we just need to figure this out. You know, I trust you. I know you're hurting. Let's go figure it out. And so when I went to the doctor, they ran an x-ray and they found a tumor. And so typically, and it was like a perfect ball and typically this can happen. And it's just like a benign soft point in the bone is that's what they thought was going on. Um, but he advised us to go to get an MRI and then a biopsy and the biopsy showed that the tumor was cancer and it was not benign. Mm. Um, and this kind of started the whole journey of amputation and recovery and losing gymnastics. And, um, I was just like in this new world, um, my whole, everything that I had before cancer and before this tumor was gone. And I really had to figure out a way to pick up the pieces to live a life worth fighting for. And that was when my hospital invited me on a ski trip to Utah so that I could learn how to snowboard. And their whole philosophy was that if somebody with an amputation could learn how to do something as hard as skiing or snowboarding, then everyday life would come naturally, or it would be a lot less of a mindset battle. Um, and so I learned how to snowboard because it reminded me of a balance beam and just immediately fell in love with the challenge and the struggle. And I wanted to do the jumps and the double diamonds and all the scary things that everybody was doing. And one thing led to another. I moved to Utah so that I could could snowboard forever. And here I am. <laughs> that is so awesome. That is so cool. And I love that they have that program because that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, you know, if you can learn how to ski and snowboard and do those things, like imagine the other things. And, um, you know, I think that really reflects in your own mindset, probably of how you look at a lot of things in the world. Exactly. And it, it worked. I mean, I'm one of many stories that were a success out of that program. That is so cool. That is awesome. I, I got to do more research on these programs. I wonder if we have something similar in Canada. I don't know, but if not, you could start one. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is, uh, that is, yeah, that is so awesome. And so how did you first start getting then into competitions? So when I moved to Utah, I knew that I needed somebody how to, to teach me how to snowboard. And so I joined a snowboard program and this was in 2013, 14. Okay. And the Paralympics for snowboarding was just now like coming into play. Like they hadn't quite um, had it officially in the games yet, but they were really working hard. And so that's how I heard about it. I was like, oh, you can compete. Well, I love competition. So this seems like something I would enjoy. And, um, once the Paralympics were official for snowboarding, I made the decision to like, try to compete and try to get into the Paralympics. Um, and so I joined nationals in 2014 when everybody had returned from Sochi 
and I placed third. And so I was like, holy crap, like if I could place third against women who just returned from the Paralympics, like I could actually be pretty decent at this. And that was when I decided like, okay, I'm all in, I'm doing the Paralympics. I'm going to win gold. Like, how do I make this happen? And then (laughs) kept going. (laughs) That is so cool. That is amazing. That's awesome. Uh, I I wish I knew you back then because that's around the same time. Like I was part of the national team program up here in Canada from 2011 until 2015. So kind of in those, those timeframes. And I definitely remember the 2014 games and I fell just short of qualifying, which was uh, unfortunate, but definitely watched it on TV. And it was, uh, it was an awesome experience to watch. How was your experience then competing at that highest stage? Yeah. So I watched the 2014 games and I was at home, so I hadn't qualified. Um, and I just remember being like, I want to do that. I can do that. I know I can do that. I know I can be so good. And then, so I like kept visualizing myself on that stage, on that platform, competing at that level. And so when I got to 2018, I, it was almost like I had already done it. Like it was almost like I had already been there. Um, but like times 10, because there's nothing quite like the environment and the energy and the hype and the pressure, like actually being on that stage. Um, but it was just like this, this relief almost that like I had done it. I had like finally got to that point that I had been working on for so long. Um, yeah, it was pretty special. That's so cool. And so how did you deal with that pressure once you were there and making sure that you still perform? Because I definitely know the feeling of you, you wish kind of all your life working towards this goal and then you get there and it's, uh, there's a lot of pressure. There's also, like you said, the relief. So how do you get into that zone to then perform at your best? Yeah. So my games experience was not a fairy tale. So I (laughs) showed up, I crashed so hard day one. Um, just a feature wasn't built super well yet. And I ended up breaking my, people should know that that is snowboarding. Like that happens. Like it's not like there's the beam, right. And it's always the beam. No, that's happens in snowboarding. Yes. And so they actually ended up fixing it, but not until like three of us had like gotten injured on that feature because it was just so, yeah. Oh, it's every, every race. It's fine. We're used to it. (laughs) Um, one day, but so I ended up like, you know, whiplash McGee, like hurt or whatever. Um, and so I kind of had that, I mean, when that's your first run at the Paralympics, that's how you're going, that's setting the tone. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, panicked. Like, how am I going to, to turn this around. Cause that's not normal. You don't always crash your first run. Yeah. Um, and so I just kept trying to like focus on the fact that I was there and that honestly being at the Paralympics and even the Olympics, it's like, you're doing something bigger for, than yourself. Like you're showing up for your country, you're showing up for your teammates, you're showing up for the little girl or little boy watching you on TV. So it's, it's bigger than you. And I kept just trying to remind myself of that, but when I was actually competing and competition day had finally showed up, I could not lay a run down. Mm-hmm. And I fell on, I think all of my training runs and my time trial runs, I barely made it into heats. And, um, I looked down, I was in the gate and I had broken my snowboard. So I had like barely made it. My equipment's broken. I am frantic, nervous, like, holy crap. I just worked so freaking hard all these years to come here and blow it. Like, are you kidding me? And 
when I was in the gate, I thought back to the whole reason that I started this journey. The whole reason that I dedicated myself to the Paralympics. And it was because I wanted to show people that just because your life looks different than it did before tragedy, it doesn't mean it can't still be great. And over time, as life went on, I instead of just showing people that I've gone through tragedy, I wanted to prove it to my daughter who was at the bottom of the course. And so I just kept saying to myself for Lila, which is my daughter's name for Lila. And that was a way to bring me back in the mindset of this is bigger than me. And you have a mission here. And when I did that, I was able to lay down like clean runs, be um, my competition to the finish line and ultimately win, which was Pretty cool, in my opinion, how a mindset shift can make such a huge difference in your performance. Yeah, it's it's like sports are so mental, right? And I think people forget that. But uh, when you all of a sudden have this realization, then it kind of changes the trajectory of like what you put into your mental training and making that shift. Exactly, because it's not like my snowboarding changed. Like every training that I've had, I mean. I'm still the same snowboarder. All I changed was how I was looking at the competition. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that is awesome. We're definitely going to get into that, but I want to <laughs> ask you about this. Like there's the rise of the superhuman uh, sport mom now. I swear, <laughs> like Williams, uh, um, Carlos Saunders and CrossFit. Like there's these moms who are making insane um you know, they're coming back from pregnancy or while they're breastfeeding, they're competing, they're doing amazing things. So please tell me the secret because maybe this is like <laughs> life hack that I need. <laughs> okay. So whenever I came back from sport, um, there wasn't very many professional athlete moms, at least yeah. like not in the media. And that was in 2016. And I'll, all I heard from my male coaches and teammates, like when you come back, you're going to be scared. There's something that happens in your brain that makes you more nervous because you're a mom now and you're nurturing and you whatever, blah, blah, blah. But what I found is actually the opposite is my brain was like, I'm doing this for my children. Like it almost gave me just this huge motivation and drive that I had not experienced before. That's amazing. And I love that you touched on that because it's true. You do hear people like, for example, in like the CrossFit world, you hear people like, well, how can you recover so quickly after, you know, maybe you had a C-section or whatever it is and get the abdominal strength back and all these things. Um, but it's been a while since I've actually heard that. And I do remember hearing that where people say, yeah, you lose that mental edge because you're worried about, um, you know, your kid or hurting yourself for your kids. So that's cool to see the, the actually the reverse happened. Yes, exactly. And like, honestly, in a way, so I had a C-section with my first and then for my second, I had just a natural uh, birth, but it's almost like my body is more ready because I had, I don't know, sometimes when you go through injury, it's like an opportunity to rebuild your body. And it's kind of the same theory of like, when you give birth, it's it, quote unquote injury. So you have like opportunity to be mindful of how you rebuild yourself and rebuild your strength. Um, and so even just getting back into shape was not as hard as everybody led me to believe because I was just in a better mindset and it, it was an opportunity to rebuild. 
Oh, that's so awesome. I hope any like soon to be moms listen to this podcast and uh, definitely hear that and, and take some some advice from that because uh, you, we have a lot of people on who've had these injury stories and they it, it does seem like, especially in sports, like people say, oh, you're never going to heal 100%. You'll never be back to that point. But you often see people take that one step back and make two steps forward because it is true. You are mindful of how you're rebuilding. You are aware of those bad habits you had before and are like, well, what are the things I can work on. Maybe uh, if you can't physically train, you can work on the mental training. There's all these different things that you can do that you probably neglected before and you just need that wake up call. Exactly. And actually, since you said that, like one thing that I really focused on during my pregnancy and coming back to sport is I visualized, I watched races of people who are better than me. I watched races of myself and I like visualize myself in that moment and going through those, those movements. And I think that helps because we have muscle memory, right? And so when you're putting your brain through what it already knows, it's just, it's like you're training. It's like you're out there training without actually doing it. And so I think that also helped me a lot in my journey of coming back to sport after being a mom. Oh, I love that. That's, that's so cool. And so awesome. And, uh, uh, definitely some words of advice for anyone going through injury or, um, pregnancy, and they're looking to make some sort of comeback in their sport. Definitely. So I want to get into the gold medal mindset, which I know is the name of, of your company. And we've been touching on the importance of mindset a lot. What is the gold medal mindset? Yeah. So gold medal mindset to me is the ability to overcome whatever life throws at you. Um, and that is through achieving a gold medal mindset. You know, we had talked about the Paralympics and how, um, I went through just trials and things were not working out, but because of the way that I showed up mindfulness mindset wise, I was able to overcome adapt and ultimately win. And I believe that we all have the ability to do that. We just have to tap into our gold medal mindsets. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what are some of like the pillars, like the things that people need to work on to kind of get to that gold medal mindset position? Yes. So I always say like a goal is the most important thing without having a goal. You don't know where you're going. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like you can't just, you don't run a race without a finish line. Yeah. And so having your goal, but when you set it being super intentional, why do you want to do this? What is the motivation? Um, how are you going to, what are you going to call on when things get hard? And those to me are like the most important basis for achieving a gold medal mindset. Um, you know, I had spoken on in my journey, so many different things have come up. Even pregnancy was something that I had to navigate through. Um, and all of these things I used over and over and over again to come back and um, be on the right path towards my dream. That's, that's awesome. And so I know you talk a lot about like goal setting, um, obviously being, yeah, you don't run the race with, without having a finish line. What are some ways that people can set better goals? Um, yeah, intentional, be intentional with you. Like you can't set a goal for anyone else but yourself. Why do you want to do this? Um, and then something that I found within my own journey is, um, setting goals out of fear, setting goals. Cause I'm afraid if, if I don't do this, then something bad's going to happen. Or I don't like my current state. It's great short-term motivation, but you really need something that's going to hold you through the long-term, something that's going to enhance your current, your current reality, enhance where you are now. Um, and so that's my biggest advice is set goals to create a better future, but not one because you're afraid of your current future. Uh, Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. How can people be kind of aware of the current emotions and states? Because I know I've fallen into this trap where uh, maybe I'm at like a suit, like I'm just super passionate about something in the moment in that day uh, and set a goal. And then like a week later, I'm like, wait, that's not what I want to do at all. But I was just on this hype train. And then same thing where I was feeling like low and it's like, okay, this goal can get me out of this, but that's only like the short-term fix. So how can people be more cognizant of that? Yeah. So I just asked my question, like self-reflection, it always goes back to self-reflection. And I ask myself time and time again, okay, so why do I want to do this? Oh, um, I want to, okay. For instance, I want to go to the Paralympics. Why? Oh, I want gold medals. Why? Because if I have gold medals, then I feel like my life will be better. Okay. Well, that's not a great, that's not a great goal, right? Because how can my life be better right now? I'm sure there's something that I could fix. So it'd be like, okay, I want to go to the Paralympics. Why? Because I want to show my daughter that she can overcome anything. Um, and like, for me, that's enough of a motivation in the inside to say, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live this truth so that I can show her. Um, so it's just really tapping into what's, what lights you up, what fuels you. Um, but asking the question over and over and over again, until you get something that really sparks motivation. Right. And kind of having this, this better why. And I know we kind of talked a bit about this subject in a clubhouse room that we were both on and um, about what drives you in, in sport. I would love if you could expand more on that topic. Yeah. So actually one reason with the Paralympics uh, specifically in 2018, um, what was driving me for the longest time is I felt that if I weren't able um, to be the best in my sport. And this was literally in all areas. So in the gym, world cups, nationals, regionals, it didn't matter if I wasn't the best, then I wasn't worthy of anything that I had. Mm. And it took a long time for me to actually realize that was what, what was going on. I didn't know until I went back and did some self-reflection of like, okay, what is really causing this? Why do I feel stressed all the time? Why do I feel anxious? And and whenever I went back, it's like, oh, because deep down, like, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel that, you know, I am incapable. And so, um, I don't know, I got some advice and it was like, how you finish a race and you get last people, people will remember that more than how you finish a race and get first, like how you behave when you get last people will remember than how you behave when you get first. And that really struck me because I, I was like, well, that's probably the realness of my character is how I'm behaving when things don't go my way. And that was when I really started to get into, okay, well, why am I behaving this way? Why can't I help raise people up when they do better than me? Why can't I, you know, be happy for myself for the things that I overcame, even though I got last. Um, and that was whenever I really found out that, oh, I just don't feel worthy and good enough. Oh, I, I love that. I'm so happy that you shared that. How, how can people build more confidence so that then they can approach their sport without that chip on their shoulder? Um, I am like a firm believer in therapy and, and personal development. Yes, um, I, yeah, I don't think it, it always comes naturally. I think it's something that you have to explore. And oftentimes like for, for me, this happened many times is I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew something deep down inside of me needed to come out and needed help. And I reached out for help to find that so that I could heal. 
Mm, yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think uh, I know in, in that clubhouse room, I was sharing that I felt, I feel like now I'm at that place as well. And I'm like, well, uh, my question is, how have you then, you know, you've changed your why now and, and it clearly still fires you up to, to compete by having this different why. Could you walk through that shift and how now you're able to compete and come out sports without having to prove something to other people or not thinking that you're enough. It's, it's not filling a void. It's just, you know, an addition to your life. Yeah. Um, so something that really fires me up, especially being an adaptive athlete and an above the knee amputee, um, there's a lot of unknown of what we can achieve. Um, and people really have a lot to say about what we can achieve, but we really don't know. It hasn't been around long enough. And so my goal is to see where the limit is. And um, I want to show people that like, we can keep pushing, we can keep fighting. Like we are, we're nowhere near the end, but it's up to yeah. us to get out there and do it. Um, and that comes from, it, it's not a lack because everything that I've done up until this point, I'm proud of. Like, I'm so proud of myself for everything I've gone through, for how I've come out on top or not. Like, I am so proud. And I think that when we love ourselves and we see our worth, there's nothing that we, there, there's nothing that we can't do. Um, it's always building upon what we've already established. And that's what I'm doing now and focusing on what, where, where's my limit? Where am I going to go? I absolutely love that. And, uh, I think, you know, I think it's hard for people to recognize, and I think especially for women to recognize and just be proud of who they are in the moment, because we are bombarded with so many things that tell us what we can be, what we can't be, uh, what we could still do or that we're not enough. And taking over that narrative is a, is a massive game changer. I, I remember I was driving this weekend, uh, going snowboarding with my boyfriend and I looked at him and I said, I'm so proud. And then I think he thought I was going to say of you, but I was like, of me. <laughs> and, uh, but I just said it like to say, like, like he played a big part in that journey, but just like, I was like, I just feel like at this place, like I've been through things with mental health and things that I've overcome. And I'm like, how cool to be at this place now and then be able to build upon that. Like you said, where it's not from a place of not enough. It's just like, I'm so proud of where I'm at and I can't wait to see where I'm going to go. Yes, absolutely. That's what it's about. I mean, we don't have to grow. Like we don't have to be under to grow, you know, plants or flowers bloom from a bulb, you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> you started as a seed, you grew, you grew, you grew, and then you bloom. Right. And, and you can grow at any point. And I don't know, you don't have to be down under to start growing. Yeah. I, I love these conversations because I, I find sometimes, especially with the internet, right? Like there's, there's only so much context you can give when anyone posts something out. And so I see, uh, like, especially on TikTok, I've seen like a war starting, a mini war starting between the self-love and acceptance movement and the self-improvement movement. And so you have a lot of people saying, no, you have to like hate where you are to like make any improvement. And then you have the other side where people are saying, no, you just got to love like who you are and where you are. And I think those things go together. And it seems like from what you've shared, um, definitely in your life, they seem to have grown together. Yeah. I mean, I love myself enough to want more. I yeah. love myself enough. Yeah. To make improvements and to enhance my current reality. Like I love myself. I don't know. I, I definitely see both in how, how the, uh, conversations could be, but in my opinion, they are, they're, they should be mutually exclusive. Like you should love yourself enough to improve, um, but you shouldn't hate yourself enough for where you're at. 
you should be proud of yourself from where you're at because we've all, all of us have gone through so much and we're still standing and we're still here. Um, and we should celebrate that. Yes. I could not agree more. Uh, I want to get into some of your training because I'm so curious, especially talking with another snowboarder. I often say like snowboarders, action sport athletes, um, they, they often look over like training and doing the work in the gym and prehab and things like that, which blows my mind because it's like we said, one of the most injury prone sports. So how do you approach your training and like, what do you do when you're in the gym? Yeah. So I'm a firm believer in coaching and training, which is, um, not the norm in our world. I feel like, <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> like it's so weird. It's so bizarre, but I really think, um, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you find somebody who's better than you or understands it more to just tell you how to do it so that you can do it. I always tell my coaches, I'm like, I'm your monkey, make me dance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do it. Um, so when I'm on snow, I prefer to have coaching. I prefer to have somebody there telling me what I'm doing wrong so that I can fix it um, without having to figure it out on myself. And then I, in the winter, I like to just get moving in the gym. I, you know, as a mom and especially with COVID, there's not enough hours in the day. So I just go and get moving. I don't necessarily lift weights. I just move. Um, and then at night I recover by either stretching while we watch TV or I have like the little percussion gun thing. Oh, yep. I love that thing. I have gotten my money's out, my money out <laughs> of it time and time again. Um, cause I'll just sit there for like an hour, my leg, my neck, my arms, and it makes a huge difference. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just like a firm believer in having a healthy body, a healthy mindset, and then having somebody there to freaking tell you what to do and how to do it. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Like it's, it's so great to see someone who's even a Paralympic champion and you look at the world as if you can learn from everyone and anyone and always get coaching. And I think it's a great reminder that you're never too good to, you know, have a coach. Yeah. I mean, Serena Williams has a coach, like, you know what I mean? So why wouldn't I have a coach? And I, it's like, okay, if somebody were to tell you, Oh, Hey, you can pay me this much money and I will tell you exactly how to achieve your goal. Like, why would you not pay it? Like, yeah. why? And so that's kind of how I've always approached it. It's like, oh, I'm just going to pay you to come tell me how to do this job I want to do. And then you're going to get me there. And they do, obviously, because here I am. Yeah, no, 100%. And you can learn from their experiences. And obviously, they've invested, like, you know, as an athlete, I think a lot of people, like, you invest in your sport, for sure. But you don't invest in becoming a better coach you invest in like you. And so that person is also going to invest in you. And that's an additional hand in the pod. That's only going to help you. Exactly. So my husband, he's a snowboard coach and he has like all these certifications. Like I think he has almost every single one that you can have as a snowboard instructor and coach. And the amount of time and energy and training that guy has gone through to coach snowboarding. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I just want (laughs) to learn it. Like, I don't want to learn how to coach it. I want to learn I just want to learn how to do it. And he is learning, you know, how to actually break it down and teach it to somebody, you know? And so why wouldn't you have somebody teach it to you if somebody is out there learning how to do it? <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. And you know what, I, I find that we see a lot now on, on social media, a lot of people, they, for example, they'll ask me, they'll go on my TikTok and say, what do you eat? Or like, what's your nutrition in a day? And what's this? And I say, I'm not a nutritionist. Like just because I'm an athlete and look a certain way or uh, have this fitness or whatever it is, doesn't mean that I'm the expert you should go to. And I'm a big believer of like, these coaches put a ton of work into what they do. I just put a ton of work into executing what they tell me to do. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We like, um, I'm on the U S team, the U S Paralympic team for the, oh, I just said that the U S and we have somebody that gives us workouts. They gives us nutrition plans. They, um, when we're at events, they tech our snowboards. We have a sports psych. We have literally every resource that we need because we're not experts in how to do it. We're just experts in, like you said, how to execute it. Um, and so I just, it's so important. I'm glad you brought up the wax tech because people ask me all the time. They're like, how do you do this for your snowboard? How do you? And I'm like, I am probably the worst person to ask. You could probably ask a recreational snowboarder and they would have a better answer because I'm like, I just gave my board to someone. And now you look at my board and it's a disaster because it's been years since I've had my sponsorships and had the team support. So now I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'll just bring it in and ask like my brother who knows more of what to do. Exactly. I do the same thing. No shame. <laughs> I want to touch a little bit about like social media. Cause I know you do some speaking and different things. You've obviously built like an amazing following on the app. And, um, for me, like I work in that space too. And I work with a lot of female athletes and I think it's so important to, as an athlete, be on there and building your brand. But I often get some pushback from athletes to say, well, it takes time. It does this. What are the, like the things that have benefited you from sharing your story on social media? Yeah. So I started social media because I thought that it was going to like enhance my sponsorships and like give me an opportunities, which obviously there is some of that, right? Like it has, but I found with social media, um, it's more about our messaging and like, what do we bring? Um, what do we bring to the table? What are, what changes, what's our impact? You know, what are we offering? Um, and I think that gets lost sometimes as athletes because we just want to show what we're doing. Whereas there is definitely space for that. But I think when it comes to using social media, um, as your business card, if you will, making it, making it, um, more about others and making it more about your impact and less about just you is like my number one advice in trying to make your social media grow. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think also sometimes people look at it, like you said, like just a business card, like, let me just show off these things for then a sponsor comes and sees, but there's no value there. If you haven't built a community or are impacting, like if you like, for example, you have a great community, you're impacting these people with your messages. That's when there is space for sponsors and partners to come in and let alone, I'm sure you're I, I can't speak for you, but probably like it fulfills you maybe to, to have this impact on people, regardless of the sponsorships and monetization that might come from that. Exactly. I mean, I show up, I mean, I don't think currently, I don't think I'm signed with anyone. No, I'm, I haven't signed a contract yet. And so I am still showing up online because there is value there. There is value in what I'm doing and what I have to offer. And, you know, if things come great, but at the end of the day, like the messages in my DMs that tell me how much my words have helped somebody is like significantly more important to me. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. It's like my dad will message me and be like, Natalie, like, but what, what was, what's all this money that you're making from like your TikTok and these things. And I say, well, like, no, I actually like, I've had a few like people who've come for TikTok partnerships. And I like say no, because I'm like, this is the community I'm building the messages I get from the young girls. And it's like, that's everything to me. And like, of course there are ways to scale it and monetize and do things, but I'm like that that's the difference. And I think that's been like the latest change in social media over the last few years as it did go from just like this hype place to like an actual place where you can really make an impact. Like, especially during COVID, 
for example, you probably can't speak in person um, at different events or even like be, you know, talking in person with groups at competitions and things like that. But even just through social media, you can make an impact right there to like a million people. Exactly. And that's, I mean, the most important thing there is just showing up and being yourself and sharing your truth and your heart. Like you can't go wrong. Yes. That's why I love like talking with other female athletes too, because there is definitely that buy-in there where they, they understand the deeper why of using like social media, like what you said with impact. If I asked a male athlete, it might be just to get sponsorships, but um, a lot of the female athletes are bought in because it's going to inspire the next generation. If for example, you have, uh, you grow to a million followers, imagine how many people are going to be joining the the sport uh, of snowboarding and uh, just be inspired to be confident and going after what they want just from seeing your story and I love that female athletes have that deeper why there agreed so there's two questions I always uh like to end things off with um the first one is what is one like one single habit that you have in your daily routine that's the biggest game changer for you Mm, I have two but I think I'm gonna pick one I think (laughs) visualization it is something that I like preach and it has made, so the first time that I tried visualization, it grounded me, it calmed me, it completely changed my current state and I practice it constantly, whether it's visualizing my dreams, visualizing happiness and peace, visualizing my happy place, whatever it is, going to a place that calms me and sparks me and brings me joy is, is huge. I love that. Do you have a certain practice that you do that's like quick to explain? Because I think a lot of people, they mention visualization, but people listening might not know where to start or how they can incorporate it. Yeah. So the first one that I ever did, and I actually have a link to it uh, on my link tree that I have uh, whatevered um, done. (laughs) I close my eyes and I go to my happy place and whether, and for me, my happy place is back home with my family. And I take in the scenery. So I see my mom, she's cooking in the kitchen. My daughter is on the couch and my husband's there as well. My brothers are in the room and we're all just watching TV. And I hear the TV. I hear laughter. I hear uh, my mom the sizzling in the pan. And I can hear just any sound that goes on at the house. And then I go through the smells so I can smell my mom's cooking. I smell the smell of home, um, the laundry soap. And anything that just that that's there. Um, and then so I, I oh, and the last one is I feel so like, what is it that I feel? So do I have a blanket on? Do I have clothes on? Is it cold? Is it warm? What do I feel on the inside emotionally? Am I happy at peace? Grateful. Um, and then I wrap it up by thinking of my favorite color mm-hmm. and I wrap myself in my favorite color like a blanket And then through deep breaths, the color just like comes my eyes. That color is covering my whole consciousness. Um, And then I open my eyes. And so over time, whenever I want to get into this happy place like that, I just think of the color. And then all of that feeling and sensation comes to me. It's really fascinating. Oh, I love that. I do kind of like a, with numbers, something similar. And then different numbers with body relaxation, the different numbers with uh, visualize, but uh, visual relaxation. But uh, I, this might be a weird question, but uh, this is something I've been experiencing when I've been visualizing lately. Is so for me, it's like I can picture myself in Bali on the beach. I'm getting like a foot massage, like I'm chilling. But like at some point, like it gets to the point where I'm like, 
do I want to go further with this visualization where either either I'm going to like, oh, I wish I was actually there or I actually feel like I am. And then I'm like, is this just, I could just do this and not actually go there. Do you ever have those like contradictions? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) And to be completely honest, um, I have no idea because I just kind of like immerse myself in the experience. Um, but no, I still definitely want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, is this going to make me like wish that I was there right now? Or am I like so deep in the moment? I'm like, I don't even need to go there. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I don't know. I feel like I just feel like I am there, but I no, you still need to go there. We yeah. still need to go there. <laughs> you need to go to Bali. <laughs> yes, exactly. I agree. I agree. When uh, when things open up, maybe next year. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, who knows? Oh, man, it's crazy. Uh, what, what are your plans? Before I ask the last question, what are your plans actually with uh, like with the upcoming year, with Paralympics coming up? Like, What, what are your goals there? Um, oh, my goal is to compete um, in 2022 and win two more gold medals. So... Ooh. It's a, it's a small goal. Go. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm hoping yeah. that everything goes as planned, especially for these summer Olympics too. Um, I mean, there's been rumors circulating, but I'm hoping everything, everything rolls as planned for everybody. I know my fingers are crossed for our summer Olympians and Paralympians for sure. Yes. Um, okay. So last question is you're sitting on your deathbed and I have shortened people's lifespan. So I'm going to say like you're 150 or maybe 200 Elon Musk has that whole thing figured out and <laughs> you're looking back. What is the impact that you wanted to have made over your life? Ooh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I think I would want I have so many. I would say uh, disability equality in Paralympics, media representation, and a world where it's not an issue. Like disability isn't an issue. It's normal, not in the sense of like everybody's disabled, but in the sense of like it's just nobody bats an eye. It just is. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I think that would be pretty special. I love that. That's awesome. So I, we're definitely going to link, uh, I'll link your Instagram in the show notes so people can one, find that visualization that's in your uh, link in your bio, um, as well as just check out all the amazing content that you're creating. So I, I really appreciate everything that you do, the content you create, the discussions that you're having, and especially this conversation. So thank you so much. Yay. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.